640 Toronto presents Think Tank, the breaking stories you care about. Please tell me. Okay, I'll tell you. The backstories you don't know yet. That's my question. Facts and opinions that get you through your day. You never know what you're going to get. And now let's meet the guests. Yeah, let's do that. Uh, before we do, we should let you know um, that it just came in that the uh, big Lotto 649 prize was won last night, and that ticket was sold in Toronto. So I don't know if we can drill down and find closer to where it was, convenience store. Maybe it was in the path. Everybody thinks nobody. What a great advertisement for the path, which is a uh, struggle to have people in it. But, um, yeah, if you go into the path uh, and walk, uh, you can win $68 million. But it's $68 million, biggest Lotto 649 prize ever. Ever, and the ticket was sold in Toronto this morning. I know, I know it's neither of our guests because they'd have hung up by now because what's the point of chatting with me if they've just won $68 million? Maybe they're asking that uh, if they had $6. But either way, Stephanie Smythe, broadcaster, is joining us right now. And uh, you didn't win the 68 million. I don't know if you have a ticket, so maybe you're checking it right now. <laughs> You know what? We do. We do have a ticket and it's not in my hands. So we don't know for sure, Greg. Okay. So, you know, you never know. Well, around our fourth topic, check those numbers. And again, if I hear a a dial tone, I know it's something I haven't said for once. Uh, Mohamed Faki is joining us, an entrepreneur, activist, founder of Paramount Fine Foods. Are you a lottery player by nature, Mohamed? Do you like our little risk in your existence? Well, risk, yes, but I don't play lottery for sure. (laughs) <laughs> six, yes, six. Sure I, I didn't win, and if I did, I wouldn't hang up on you. We'll figure out the three of us how we can donate some of that money and help some people. Some people. I think we would do that. Yo, no, I think there'd be some more meals uh, for a bunch of people tonight uh, spread out all over uh, the city of Toronto. I think that that's true. You bet. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I'd, I'd be willing to try that for the first time ever. Actually, I have had it before. I, have, I do like it. Um, what we got in the House of Commons yesterday, Stephanie and Mohammed, uh, I want to play this clip. Here's the apology from Prime Minister Justin Trudeau in the scrum. The speaker was solely responsible for the invitation and recognition of this man and has wholly accepted that responsibility and stepped down. This was a mistake that has deeply embarrassed Parliament and Canada. All of us who were in this house on Friday regret deeply having stood and clapped, even though we did so unaware of the context. So let's start with you, Stephanie. We've got things to do. We've got houses to build. We've got governing to do if you're the federal government and the opposition. Are we all moving forward now? Can we put the ugliness and embarrassment of the last five days behind us now? Do you think we will? Well, you can ask Pierre Polyev because he's still saying, you know, Trudeau has not apologized personally so that's going to keep this forever alive um you know the block has also made some uh, demands of the prime minister to reach out personally to uh, zelensky about this and that's what i wonder you know is mm-hmm. trudeau's relationship with zelensky forever damaged can zelensky you know even ever trust trudeau again or canada for that matter i mean we all see that cringe video right every time the story comes up over and over again everybody's standing up and clapping and People so unaware of this situation, you know, cringe is the word. But I think, you know, it's going to be kept alive by uh, the opposition. And also, you know, that's just the question mark about going forward in relationships with Zelensky. Was there a personal conversation between Trudeau and Zelensky? And I think that is what I want to hear and how that relationship is. Forget the diplomatic channels. 
is it, you know, the prime minister one-on-one with uh, Zelensky? Yeah, Mohammed, you, you watched the political scene, and, and I think we saw some politics being played yesterday again by both sides. In fact, we even saw Prime Minister Trudeau say, well, the opposition's met with this person and had a photo taken with this person and had a lunch. It's just, it's hard to know whether we'll quickly forget about this incident um, and, and what will stick in the brains of busy people who are just worried about food prices or gas prices or rent for their kids or anything like that, right? It's hard to tell if it will be uh, quickly forgotten. I wouldn't pay attention to what the opposition is doing. I think it uh, was really a good way of fixing a huge error of apologizing. Uh, would it be forgotten by the people that they were there in the parliament that stood and clapped? I mean, it makes me feel, feel to my, like bad, horrible. Mm-hmm. If I was there, I, I don't think I'll ever for, forgive myself for being part of it, despite the fact I wouldn't have had any control. The prime minister did uh, the right thing after definitely the resignation uh, that happened before the prime minister. And then the prime minister needed to apologize on behalf of the parliament and all of us as Canadians. So uh, he did apologize to Ukraine and to their president, Mm. but also many others who obviously been affected or offended by what happened last week in our House of Commons. So I do think that Premier did it the right did the right thing once the Speaker has resigned, and he did it very well as well. But it would be very it was very difficult and it was very damaging few days for Canada. Yeah. So we need to keep going and fixing up the damage done. I mean, opposition's work is opposition's work. I think on this point they shouldn't really keep it that long because. It is damaging to all of us Canadians. Yeah, I mean, Trudeau said some true things. It was a shameful moment. We all are a little bit embarrassed, but then we need to make sure it doesn't happen again. I want to move on to what we uh, talked about uh, and what transpired last night uh, and what we've been talking about all morning, I should say, with the OSSTF, their union, and the Minister of Education going to binding arbitration. Their members said, we're good with having an arbitrator settle this and settle whatever we can't piece together and put down on paper and agree on by the end of the month, just so kids aren't out of school and there's no strike. Here's what Karen Littlewood said. We know that we can't trust the Ford government to come to the table with any substantive offers. So we are going to take any unresolved issues to voluntary binding interest arbitration. It shouldn't be like that if we had a government who was um, funding education instead of shortchanging the students of the province, it would be different. But it's not like that. We need some stability in education and we provide stability. The Minister of Education hasn't done much for that. Mohamed Faki, let's come to you first. Um, this is something that I, I think, you know, businesses use all the time. We use this in, in legal means all the time. Going to an arbitrator, an absolutely independent person and saying, you decide, you settle it for us. That's that's probably makes more sense than having having fighting back and forth and risking kids missing school days. Well, absolutely. In business, arbitration is the faster solution and it's much, much better for business always. So it does get to the result and uh, it does not interrupt businesses for long. Avoiding teacher strike is best for our kids. It's best for parents too. And this is what teachers voted for. It's so good to hear that they voted for that. And you know what? She started by saying uh, the Ford government can't be trusted and she continued. I would have stopped there. 
They just simply can't be trusted. <laughs> <laughs> Stephanie, you've covered your fair share of, of teacher disputes, and we should point out, yeah. like that, there were they were there was 15 years of of the liberals governing the province with Kathleen Wynne, and prior to that, Dalton McGuinty, and there was always tension, and there was right. always rhetoric. So this oh. might be a step forward to say, and and maybe the other unions could pick up on this and say, look, it, it, it's in the best interest. Let's just let a neutral party handle it from now on. It's just the energy that goes into this, right, watching it over and over. And it feels like it's every year, not every three years. As far as I'm concerned, if there's an arbitrator there, somebody making a decision so it avoids a strike, the kids are in school, parents can, you know, relax and not worry about what's coming up next when it comes to, you know, kids in the classroom, that's a win. And let's not forget, like, there is absolutely no appetite right now. Like, read the room post-COVID. Like, people want kids in the classroom. And, you know, if this is a way to accomplish that, whether or not there's any deal signed right now, when the minister says, you know, there is a deal, in essence, it looks like there is, I'll take it, you know, just to keep it quiet, move on. Well, Steph, I, th- I think you make a great point of with everything that happened during lockdowns and online learning and whatnot, and the idea that, you know, you could teach a 10-year-old geometry over a computer screen in his or her bedroom. We're, there's a lot of blame from parents and a lot of anger towards the unions and towards the government mm-hmm. for closing schools as long as they did now in retrospect. So there's, you said it, there's zero appetite where like you two groups get it together and, and leave us alone and, and keep the schools open. Yeah, it's, it's just move on, heads down, let's get studying, right? Enough. Bingo. All right, this happened yesterday, and I wanted to bring this up for our listeners to give context to. By the way, Stephanie Smythe and Mohamed Faki, our, uh, our think tank panel this morning on 640 Toronto, um, they locked down and, uh, and had a hold in place for a bunch of schools in the area along Danforth Avenue. Um, police got a warning there was somebody walking on the street with a gun, but I sent you guys this this in the list of schools. It's about twelve schools that were either in lockdown or hold and secure. So, I is there ever a worry that we're really aggressive in Canada about this based on things that obviously we see in the states that that are terrible, but they haven't happened here. And Mohammed, I've talked to parents who've picked up elementary school kids after a lockdown day, or the, the they have to hide under their desk, or even they're doing a drill in case something happened, and and it's rattled them. Um, could we ever see that maybe we take this too far sometimes? What's your view on it? Well, it is a tough choice, uh, isn't it? But I will always be on the side of safety, especially when it comes to children. It will be rattling for young kids, and we have to make sure resources are provided to help people. Now, the idea of, and again, you're talking to a Canadian that was born in Lebanon during the Civil War. Mm-hmm. If we shut down schools far away from any school that had the lockdown because of a gun or, or an incident, we would not have showed up to school ever, every single day of the year. So, I mean, uh, there is a balance, and uh, definitely I'm always on the side of safety, especially when it comes to children, but definitely also protocol are needed, uh, but the balance has to be there. Steph, it's it's not like when we went to school um, at all uh, in terms of the, those people being aware. I, I don't know that somebody would be expelled for taking a toy gun to school when we would have gone to high school in the in the in the 80s or the 90s. But it's everybody is a lot more aware of these scenarios now. Um, but again, for geography purposes, this is along the Danforth there. And there aren't 14 schools within a one kilometer radius. So they clearly did a hold and secure or a lockdown for a lot more schools than within walking distance. 
Right. You know, you know what? In my days, like reporting, CP24, breaking news all the time, I did countless, uh, you know, stories reporting on, on this kind of situation, right? So mm-hmm. it's not unusual. It always involves a swath of schools. If they're looking for a potential suspect, right, they have to be very careful. Uh, post-Columbine, everything changed. We know that. Um, all the mass shootings in the States, of course, were influenced by that. I just want to point out, though, you know, it's not just guns now. It's knives. Yeah. Kids have knives. People have knives with them. And it's way easier to pull a knife than a gun, right? Uh, And I'm not trying to be inflammatory here. I'm just saying there are people, kids, carrying weapons in terms of knives to school right now. And I don't know if it's elementary or, you know, middle school, high school, but it is a possibility. About the hold and secures and the lockdowns, uh, to Muhammad's point, you know, it's better to be safe Often, you know, I would say 85% of the time things resolve without incident. Sometimes a suspect is found, sometimes not. But, you know, it, it's, it seems a lot and it's maybe triggering for kids and upsetting all that. You know, do you walk it back and then regret it? Right. So it's a matter of better to be safe. Stephanie Smythe, uh, Mohamed Faki joining us on Think Tank on 640 Toronto on Toronto Today. I, I don't hear this in the news very uh, much, but now and then I do. And I'm like, should I be paying more attention to it? And it's fashion moguls, Peter Nygaard's sexual assault trial. Um, they uh, they obviously are going through some of the testimony against him. He's 82 years old right now. He was extradited back to Toronto from Europe to to um, to face trial. His accusation is luring and sexually assaulting five young women and girls between the 80s and 2005. The charges are horrific. He's pleaded not guilty. Let me start with you, Stefan, ask um, where, where we are on this. This is he may be acquitted. We can't know if he's going to be convicted, um, but it's a real dark story. Is this on a lot of people's radar? Well, I think it will be as it gets more attention. Right. It's starting to be written about. It just started. Right. So typically in news organizations, depending on the resources now. Right. Which is a whole other question mm-hmm. mark. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll cover the first day of a trial and then, you know, at least for broadcast and, and you know, uh, print kind of or digital maybe. But, you know, print is picking up on it. It's, you know, headlining in the star already because of, of you know, the, the content that's coming that we're learning about as the trial proceeds. So I think it's going to be capturing the headlines, continuing. It's a historical alleged sex assault. So it's significant. You know, it just shows that at any age you can be held accountable Right. So and it circles back to all kinds of things, you know, including what's happening in Parliament right now. But, you know, it's like these are historical assaults. Um, you know, there is an, an aspect of accountability or at least a process. Right. And with the salacious details, that's when things get you know, kept in the headlines. So I think no doubt we're going to be hearing more and more and people talking more and more about this case. Mohammed, how do you how do you view it as a like, again, as a man, I just I get goosebumps up and down my shoulders thinking about this. And at the same time. It's not me that gets put in that position, but I would think of a sister, a girlfriend, my wife, people's daughters being forced into this kind of scenario with this person, allegedly. And uh, and it's it's repulsive. But I sometimes think we turn away from the dark stories because it's it's so hard to think about because it's not just his actions, Muhammad. It's the fact that many people might have known about his actions and done nothing about it that drives us crazy. Absolutely. And of course, it's a matter of public interest that it's very important and it's a bigger conversation. This particular story, I haven't been following it closely because absolutely about everything happening around us and how important, including the matter of public interest that involved this and the actual conversation, the wider conversation that we all need to have about this. 
and I have four sisters and it makes me feel very, very like sick to my stomach just thinking about it. But unfortunately, I haven't followed this particular and it's a weird one, too, Steph, from, just from a media perspective. I think about three weeks ago or four weeks ago, Kevin Spacey was acquitted on all charges, the yeah, two-time Oscar yeah. winner. And, and so there's no way to know what, what's going to be proven in court. And obviously, famously, closer to our neighborhood, you would have been front and center with all the Jan Gameshi details of that trial. And when the charges come out, we're all thinking, lock that, do- lock that cell door. He's getting convicted. He's going to jail. And he wasn't convicted of a single crime. So we never know. We never know how the court, we know how the court of public opinion works. We never know how the courts will actually view a charge. Right. Precisely. And that's why, you know, you got to watch your language and the salacious information. I hate to even repeat it because mm-hmm. it's disturbing, but you know, that is going to make the headlines. But again, you know, we're just, this trial's just starting. And, you know, you saw, you mentioned Gameshi, you mentioned Spacey. You know, those are two shining examples that it's not always, you know, a a closed case. So that's Mm. why, you know, I think, and it's always not only only what but who is involved here. So you're looking at Nygaard, who is, you know, iconic in the fashion industry in Canada. And that's why, you know, we're going to be paying attention, of course, as well. But also who knew what, when, all those factors. And then, of course, you know, the defense. It's always fascinating to watch how, how it's spun. So, you know, it's just we're new into this. And, you know, I you just watch how it unfolds. And you have to remember, innocent to proven guilty. Yeah, all great points. And, and I agree with you. I think it will. Uh, the, the story will build momentum. We had a conversation on Toronto, yes, uh, Toronto Today yesterday about locking doors because York police uh, documented a brutal home invasion with five armed assailants. They show up at a house at 2 a.m., break in and steal some stuff okay and and a firearm was discharged but nobody was hurt okay well you'd be rattled to me to me for the i'd be rattled the rest of my life if that happened especially with kids at home but york police tell residents muhammad keep doors locked and the message was strongly hinted all the time so do we do we just have a different perspective now like we're supposed to be canada you shouldn't have to lock your door if you're going to a neighbor's house at 11 in the morning or you're running to the corner store to get some milk at two in the afternoon do we do this more now do we need to be more vigilant and are we about our own homes uh i would say the same as the police lock your door uh i mean (laughs) when i came to canada the best story i used to tell my parents i don't have to lock my door it's beautiful country is so safe uh uh, my home has been broken into, uh, and the doors were locked. And they actually took the car key, and they left with my car. So, yes, lock your oh. door, please. Because the investigation uh, from the insurance will depend if the door was locked, and it will change what you will get from your insurance if you do not lock uh, your door. What did they take so, from your home, if I can ask? Really, uh, it's crazy. They took the car key, and I think that was enough. And they took the car with them. And uh, they took my uh, uh, son's iPad uh. and my son's school bag. So I think they were so nervous that they thought that's the bag they brought with them. And they picked up my son's school bag, my younger son's school bag, and they ran. So, but definitely I lost my, my Mercedes. And uh, the insurance, when they were um, asking questions about a property, uh, they actually sent somebody to take pictures of the lock on the door to make sure that was locked and it was forced. So, yes, my suggestion, definitely, uh, please, mm. please lock your door, uh, especially <laughs> even when you are in the house. And I suggest as well that they put their alarm. Steph, I, I, it hasn't happened to me, and you just you almost want to get to the end of your 
to be honest, the end of your life and have it never happened. Like it's never happened to my parents. It's they had their car stolen once at a mall outside a movie theater, got it back within a day and a half. Just some kids joyriding. But when I hear the stories that we hear in the media, it um, everyone says, ah, that could be me next. Why couldn't it be? Well, absolutely. And, and I hate to even talk like this. Who doesn't want to leave their door open and, you know, have that great feeling of, of, of safety? But mm-hmm. things have changed. In I live in Toronto, and we have, we're part of a neighbor, neighborhood watch group. So a lot of people have these WhatsApp chats going on. So we're watching, everybody's communicating all the time about attempted break-ins at their homes. I've seen video of uh, people like trying to kick down literally a side door one o'clock in the morning. They didn't get in that time. They went back again, tried again. And this is just a street over. Then I saw video of um, their scaffolding at one house where people were climbing up the scaffolding to a kid's room, trying to break in a window there. People are trying to break in constantly. And the goal is to get the keys to those cars. Yeah. And we know that police do not have the resources. And I think the bad guys know, too, to police these situations, right? You could call and you could wait, you know, an hour for a cruiser to come and check out this situation. The bottom line is they want to get into your house. They want to get the keys and they want to take off with your vehicles. So, you know, it's it's. Of course, lock your doors. I think she, I, I think she's um, she's got it, uh, Muhammad. That like steps right on the money there because we often, you know, you grow up and you see in TV shows and movies. Well, you know, somebody's going to plot a bank robbery. There's a lot of great movies about bank robbery. Why would you do that when you've got like in essence a thirty thousand dollar, fifty thousand dollar car sitting in someone's driveway, and all I need to do smash the front door, grab the keys, get out of there, and t- why would I rob a bank? I'm not going to get fifty thousand dollars out of a bank, but I can get rid of that car into a shipping container in 24 hours and I get paid. The only way they will prefer to uh, rob a car over a bank if they have a way to get rid of the car and turn it to cash. So that That's right. I'm, not, I'm, not being, I'm not being the criminal now in my own mind. No. But it, it is a true. Uh, lately, uh, a lot of cars have been stolen. A lot of our friends. I live in Mississauga. I love the city and it's been great and safe. But lately, we all has gone through that. And I agree with Stephanie, you know what? The police department don't have the resources and they're very helpful. But when I told them that they break into my house, they did show up, but they didn't have the resources to bring somebody to lift fingerprints. So they left it. And then the insurance questioned that and all great. I mean, but the truth is they don't have the resources and it's easier definitely coming to a house, grabbing even watches, jewelry, but the, the most dangerous part that these people are walking in when f- families are in the home and that becomes yeah. very clear. Yeah. And this is happening more and more from what I'm seeing yeah. in our, our chat group. People are home, they're asleep and, you know, they don't seem to care because they know they can get away with it. It's epidemic. Yep. Yeah, it's unbelievable uh, how, how uh, vigilant now we all really have to be. I got to leave it there because we're tight for time. Thank you so much for sharing. Amazing stories, amazing perspective. Uh, Stephanie Smythe, Mohamed Faki, thank you so much for being part of Think Tank again today. Appreciate it. Thanks, Craig. Thank you.